Hello, this is uh, the Appreneur Podcast, episode 10, um, with a bunch of folk from the uh, Slack community, and uh, it's iOS Stack Friends. Uh, this is where we uh, talk about um, our uh, week and our challenges. Um, this is a podcast that's brought to you by the App Guide podcast. Um, that is the theappguide.co, where you can find out more details and listen to over 450 uh, interviews with founders and entrepreneurs. Uh, also, Indie iOS Focus Weekly, which is by Chris Bishaw, and you can find out about that from going to indieiosfocus.curated.co. That's indiefocus.curator.co. And finally, if you want to sign up to the Slack group that we're all part of, uh, just go to the appguide.co forward slash iOS stack hyphen friends. That's iOS stack hyphen friends, all lowercase, and you can then uh, join the wait list and, uh, and join us in that community. And so let's um, spend a minute now just uh, getting to know uh, who we have on. And um, so if you can spend a minute talking about your... Uh, challenges and uh, your, you know, your business. Um, and uh, I guess uh, we'll start with uh, Rouse. Uh, you're on my left here. Um, let's hear about yeah. what you do and your challenges. Yeah. So hi everyone. It's um, Rouse. I'm the co-founder of Stumble and Stuff, which is a mobile marketplace for buying and selling stuff. We enable buyers and sellers to be able to get their stuff delivered within the same day or within 48 hours. And uh, my current challenge uh, this week is uh, setting up um, some Facebook ads, getting some inspiration actually for Facebook ads so that when we launch um, I can have really good um, ads with good copy and good, good, um, good images that will be able to get good um, good conversion on. Thanks. Great. Thanks for us. Um, Daniel, do you want to have a go at doing a one-minute intro about yourself? Um, you can do that or it's up to you. Um, Hello, everyone. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm Daniel. Um, I just quit my job at Google three months ago. <laughs> uh, actually, it's four months now. Um, to focus on my own apps, um, which are um, Pocket CAS, which is a very advanced ca uh, graphing calculator. Um, and timing, a time tracking app for OS X that automatically tells you what you've been up to without needing to start and stop timers. And at the moment, my biggest challenge is um, figuring out actually where I want to go with timing and um, making that happen. Great. Well, congratulations on quitting um, that small company called Google. Um, Chris, do you want to give us a minute about... Uh, Yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Chris Bishore. I am an app developer located in Kansas City, Missouri, here in the U.S. Um, I, uh, besides making apps on my own, that's where I kind of started. I also do freelance work, and uh, that's just really ramping up. And I um, am the curator of Indie iOS Focus Weekly. I believe I had issue 67 come out last week. Um, so I've been doing that since about February of last year. Also, Paul and I launched iOS Stack um, a couple weeks ago and had really good results on, from the launch. But I think our biggest challenge is, you know, creating engagement and uh, making the site something that is more than just a launch site that um, is kind of forgotten or not trafficked. So that's kind of where I'm at. Great. And 
but uh, you're very welcome to come in and give us a minute about yourself if you'd like to. Oh, um, it's up to you. Yeah, sorry for today. I'll just pass um, okay. in a week. Okay. Thanks. No worries. Right. Okay. So um, the uh, next thing on the agenda then is um, uh, if um, uh, uh, Chris, was there anyone that was wanting to do a deep uh, an educational piece? Um, I don't think we really had anything um, planned. Nobody had volunteered. Um, I don't know if anybody has anything that they've worked on this week. I know that um, Darren is really excited to get back on the uh, podcast and talk about the email course. Uh, he actually paid a pretty decent chunk to take Amy Porterfield's email course, and he is super excited about it. He's made a few posts in the group, and um, I look forward to when he comes back because uh, I've, I've really been interested in that course and uh, and some of the others that are out there to see if they're um, you know really as valuable as some people say. Right, okay. Um, yeah, unless anyone wants to put their hand up if they've learned something, then we can skip this bit for today. Um, and uh, I, I would just like to also mention that, Daniel, we have um, a lot of people who have quit jobs, Chris being one that's in the process. Um, I've got a lot of people I know who have done the same thing. So if you ever need to connect with like-minded people that have done something as crazy as what you've just done, then um, it, it does help and I'd be happy to make some introductions, so just let me know. And, uh, I might get back to you on that. Yeah, I mean, I we all went through the same. I went through the same process of um, quitting my job and then getting really scared that I'd done the wrong thing. And it was only until I'd met other people that had done the same that I felt more comfortable about what I was doing. And so you need that support structure um, because you know, the people that you hang around with are from Google are just going to think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Daniel, did I read that you wanted to, you could do um, a quick um, deep dive into what you're doing with your apps? Um, is that right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so if we spend 10 minutes or so uh, just telling us about your apps and your journey so far. Mm -hmm. um, so, let's start uh, real quick with uh, how everything began. Um, first, I actually, as a hobby, developed apps for Windows Mobile PDAs back at the time because I happened to own one. And at one point, I figured maybe I could make some money by um, doing these apps for iPhone instead and selling them. So um, I bought a Mac Mini and an iPod Touch in 2009 and um, wrote a CIS. It's the calculator app. Um, so it can um, graph functions, do normal calculations, do integrals derivatives, everything you could think of, um, and ported that to iPhone, and it did actually sell enough to finance my studies at the time, especially after the iPad came out. That was a really big boost. Um, and at one point, I wanted to actually be able to calculate an hourly wage um, equivalent. Um, but I, for that, I needed to know how much I was actually working. And that's um, how I came up with Timing, um, which was inspired by similar apps for Windows. So what Timing does is um, it automatically tracks um, which window you have open right now and which document you're editing in that window or which website you're, you're visiting, etc. And um, later, you can then just drag and drop um, these activities, the URLs or um, uh, documents into um, projects so that you can um, 
have an overview of what you are doing or what you have been doing and um, even use that data to create invoices, for example. And um, yeah, uh, after I finished studying, um, I um, did, uh, originally I wanted to be indie, but then um, I um, did apply to Apple and Google and um, took the offer from Google, because if you have an offer from Google, you don't just don't accept it. Um, but now it's two years later, and I feel like um, I still want to do the indie app thing, and better now than never. So um, what I've been doing in the past month were some minor updates to um, both apps. But now that this is done, I really need to figure out what I want to do next. Um, at the moment, my best shot at that is um, actually creating a version 2 of timing, which would um, have way more features and um, some export uh, um, features and so on, and hope that that um, takes off better. So far, I'm earning a little bit more money with Pocket CIS, but the market is actually harder to expand in. And um, a lot of people who um, are trying timing or who hear about it are really excited about the idea, so I believe I'm onto something. Um, but the problem is, it is the it feels like the hardest thing I've ever worked on because um, version two will be a lot more complex than version one. Um, and at the same time, I'm not sure if doing a Mac app with this is going to be the right direction, or whether I would um, do a web should do a web service instead. Um, with subscriptions, an iOS version, a, Mac, a Windows version, and so on. But on the other hand, that would be um, quite a lot more work. And I'm not sure if it's actually doable by one person. Probably not. Um, so at the moment, I'm a bit torn between um, staying on the Mac-only track or expanding into a version, um, which, yeah, which is just going to be a, on a completely different scale. Well, that is excellent. I think we can jump in with questions. Does anybody have any questions for Daniel? Um, I know he had mentioned uh, working on a new version. Is there going to be, uh, I know you're on the Mac App Store right now. Have you had a lot of issues with the sandboxing and getting uh, what you need you know, done? Because that's kind of a big topic right now. Exactly. Um, that's um, one of the problems that I'm facing. If I were to do a version 2, how would I get it into the Mac App Store with sandboxing or without? Um, so one option would be to um, just upgrade the exi existing version, which is not sandboxed, and hope that Apple would still accept it in a non-sandboxed way. Um, but then I would, of course, be missing out on all the upgrade revenue, which I don't really want to. Another option would be to um, have a version two, a basic version 2 that um, users would be upgraded to and offer them the option to downgrade to version 1 and offer in-app purchases within version 2 for them to upgrade to higher tires. So at least then I could keep the uh, or get in-app purchase revenue from those who upgraded. Um, or a third option would be to release a completely new version on the Mac App Store um, that would be sandboxed and um, a bit limited in functionality, therefore. And I could still offer a less limited direct download. Or mm -hmm. have the lowest price tire with the lowest features on the Mac App Store and higher tires on my website. But then it's always a problem on how do you get people to actually know about um, the higher tires without the um, without violating the App Store guidelines. 
Yeah, I know some apps will have you, you know, download the App Store version and then they'll install, you know, you can go to their site to install a small, like, helper app type thing. And I didn't know if that was something that you were looking at or not. Exactly. Um, the yeah. problem with that is that um, technically the App Store guidelines forbid you from soliciting users to download um, that helper app. Mm -hmm. I think Apple says something like you must not um, ask users to download something from outside the App Store. Um, so that's a bit of a problem there. Yeah. But yeah, I've been considering that. Yeah. Sorry, Ravs, you go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say it's a great app. But I love it. Um, it, and it's I see great, great value in in using something like this. Um, I wanted to ask: um, Have you tried to um, sell it as an enterprise software to companies? Because um, I see it bringing great value to um, to companies tracking what their employees are um, in a good tracking in a good way anyway uh, to see their employees' productivity. Um, have you tried to go that route? Actually, um, that's um, one of the parts that uh, a web version would help me to do with. So for one, it could, yeah. for example, be um, more applicable to small teams in general, but I could also have dedicated enterprise versions for bigger companies where they c could yeah. um, track their workforce productivity um, at once. Mm. And I, yeah. I'm really considering doing that. The problem is then I would definitely need web-based version, and I think that's also far beyond the, um, the scope of one person, because I think then I would really need um, a salesperson um, to, yeah. uh, to sell it to the enterprises. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. very much considering that, because I think um, there, it, there's a lot more money to be made in that area. And um, if you do get the sales right, it's, it might even be easier to, because you have fewer customers to acquire. Yeah, and you know, yeah. that's... Um, Go ahead, Ralph. Yeah, like when, when when you were speaking, I was just thinking of Box, um, how they first started, they were uh, consumer software, but then you know the founder was like, no, it's much better for us to be an enterprise software, which is like less effort because it's less companies, but you know, great um, greater revenue, rather than consumers um, which need more effort and greater team. Um, so yeah. Would you, uh, and uh, at the moment, I'm actually at the wrong side of the spectrum because at the moment, 50% of my customers are freelancers, um, yeah. which is fine. But the problem is, the they have the the least money and the highest um, the need for support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, would your main competitor would be probably Rescue Time, I guess, in a in the grand scheme of things, as far as, you know, if you got into enterprise, I don't know what enterprise work they do, but they're the one that comes to mind. They're the ones I used before I switched to uh, timing um, to track my uh, usage. Exactly. Um, so at, at, at the moment with the time, uh, with the freelancer um, approach, um, rescue time is not that much of a competitor because it doesn't really allow you to um, have a very fine-grained view of how you spend your time, which freelancers need for billing. On the other hand, um, if I'm just going into the productivity monitor um, route, um, rescue time will definitely be a competitor, and um, they're they're a big fish. So yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, they like you said, this is going to require you to build a company, not just a app. You know. 
Exactly. Daniel, um, on rescue time, uh, I remember hearing about that on one of the podcasts I listened to. Uh, he was used by uh, John Lee Dumas, and uh, I feel that's a really good way of uh, promoting a timing app is to get an influencer to use it and then to talk about it on their show. Uh, you might get quite a few downloads, so, so it's just kind of an idea. Definitely. Um, I actually had um, a more or a, a prominent um, app developer, um, Christoph Sablocki. He's uh, known under the name Merovin. Um, tweet about it, and um, and also Felix Krause. And I did notice both of them when they tweeted about it. So that did result in some extra sales. And uh, at the moment, uh, something that I um, I'm also a bit blocked by is um, that if I um, were to make this into a startup. I would need some co-founders because um, I think just doing it by myself and having employees um, is not a, a, as good a route as having co-founders who are in it just as much as me. Um, but finding those people is not that easy. Uh, I've got two really good uh, resources for you. Uh, one is that I'm a member of a Slack community of freelancers. So. Um, I maybe can send you some details on joining there, but that's obviously a great community to kind of talk about your, your timing app. And the, the other one is that I've had some great interviews and uh, actually know these people um, with uh, productivity solutions. Um, there's uh, Tim Metz, who uh, did a really good uh, Kickstarter for uh, his um, uh, application, or actually it was a piece of hardware called Saint. And mm -hmm. so that's a, that would be a really interesting um, episode to listen to, uh, uh, Saint, I think it was. And um, the other one is uh, that I spoke to someone behind uh, Kronos. Kronos is an app. Uh, it's actually a native iOS app that runs in the background and tracks a lot of timing and productivity. Guy that runs that might be an interesting guy to talk to. I don't meet him, but uh, he's 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 got a co-founder, raised a lot of money. Uh, Dylan Kyle, his name is. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, episode 101. So there's two people that maybe get to talk to. I didn't even know that something like that was possible on iOS. Yeah, he's he's done really well actually. He's just running this in the background. You never actually open it, but you get an email every week with, um, and it helps you live a, a better life by doing the things you want to in your life. Uh, you know, spend more time with family, uh, spend less time down the pub, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Sounds good. Um, I'm opening the episode right now, so I can listen to it later. Yeah, we'll include those links maybe and the follow-up. That's a good idea. I feel like we're um, we're talking with someone here that's on the road to greatness. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. Um, at, at the moment, I, I'm very much dealing with imposter syndrome, um, but I hope that that will um, get better as soon as I've figured out what I'm going to do with version two and um, am on a good track with that. Uh, actually, given that Chris is making the transition and uh, you're making Daniel the transition from a salary to um, supporting yourself with your own income. I was thinking about how best to help people like yourselves and I mean a lot of the people on my show t tend to talk about uh, cutting down and living more of a, a simplified lifestyle and I wondered if like uh, any tips on 
you know, maybe being a bit, a bit more minimalist in your outlook and, and changing your parameters of success, that kind of stuff would be an interesting topic uh, for anyone that's making that transition from a good salary job to, you know, supporting themselves. You know, I've thought a lot about that over the last couple of years because there's so much, you know, success is really, uh, you know, it, it's something you define yourself or other people define for themselves. And um, it has, I think, you know, obviously you have to be able to pay your bills and live the lifestyle you want, but I think there's a lot of choices that could be made that are, uh, you know, just a different choice that you can make that really can affect your happiness and what you get out of life. You know, I have uh, a six-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter, and, you know, one of the main reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing is for the flexibility to not, you know, get home at six when and pick him up from a uh, after-school daycare, and I don't see him in the morning, and he's going to bed, you know, at seven thirty because he has to get up so early for school. Things like that is really important to me, and uh, you know, I just wanted the flexibility to work different times, and if I have to make some sacrifices as far as you know, going out to eat, going on vacations, things like that, while we're ramping up to uh, you know, hopefully get back to the income that I had before. You know, those, those things are more important to me, and I think that that's where you have to look at, look at things uh, as far as the lifestyle changes go. I agree very much with Chris. Um, I, I don't yet have children, but for example, what I also noticed is that um, you don't need that much money to have great experiences. For example, um, since um, being on my own, I rediscovered the public library um, next to my place. Um, which is a really good way to still have a great experience reading a book with spending less money. And um, of course, if you can cook yourself, it's a bit of a trade-off between time and money. Um, and I also have been wanting to start traveling more again and now that I have all that technically free time, although I still need to be working on it. Um, so far, that hasn't materialized, but I've been um, as busy as before. But hopefully, uh, we'll find a better balance about that. So, yeah, the balance is the hard part to uh, figure out because I think everybody has their own balance. You know, you can't just listen to a podcast of how this person does it, or you know, try to imitate what another person does. Sure, you can take advice and 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 think about how they do it, but I think everybody has to settle into their own um, schedule and own lifestyle that fits them. Definitely. And I think um, family, for example, is also a good forcing function to um, just limit how much you're working. Um, yeah. And just spend your time in better and happier ways um, in some way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think the one thing that resonates through all the podcasts and interviews I've listened to with people that do the independent lifestyle is that you do need uh, some sort of boundary to where, uh, you know, a lot of people have their own office, and when you're in the office, you know, you're not available, but uh, they, you know, whenever you're not in the office or whenever you're at the table, you know, you're not working on something or have your phone out researching something, and I think that that's the one thing that goes through all the podcasts I've listened to. Uh, Paul, you could probably have some good insight on that, too, because you've interviewed a lot of people that are balancing the same type of thing. That's why I bring it up because I feel like there's a real demand for learning about this and, and just my own experience of having to make the switch. I mean, here I am 
doing this call. I'm actually at my parents' house helping them clear out some stuff. And I can do that because I uh, have this independent lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I've met a lot of people working from a beach or a, an office um, in a jungle. And uh, we have every every opportunity to do whatever we want in our lives. We've got the whole world set up for us. It takes two hours to book a, a flight, travel somewhere. We, we've got Airbnb. We can stay anywhere now uh, around the world at a, a click of a button. It's there. The only obstacle in uh, this whole world that we have is, is ourselves. And 90% uh, of people do the same thing every day, and they don't think there's any escape. And uh, you know, apart from the holiday, but uh, it's changing. And I, I'd love to tap into this whole uh, change and uh, you know, the future of the workforce, the liquid workforce, where you work from wherever you want, whenever you want, or whatever you want to. It's great. Very well said. Yeah, so many opportunities now to do that. Definitely a different. I think with just all the different, you know, free. Alternatives and like you said with the Airbnb, you know, often that's cheaper than a hotel, you know, and uh, it just really opens up the door for those type of things. Yeah, actually, um, in some places, living there in an Airbnb is cheaper than um, living where we are in the United States or in Germany. Mm. Even if yeah. it's just temporary as an Airbnb, it's still cheaper than rent in Germany, for example. Yeah. Let me mention one more resource to you, Daniel, while I'm thinking about it. This guy, uh, actually, Rich Pleath, uh, if you go to the appguy.co and do search, uh, he was the guy that was instrumental behind Google Chrome, and he gave, it, gave that up to go and start his own startup. Uh, so that would be, again, another guy to either connect with or at least listen to um, who made this really drastic uh, decision. And he talks about it on episode 405 there of leaving Google and uh, a very successful kind of position at Google as well. You know, the guy who effectively mm -hmm. marketed Chrome to us. I don't know if you know him, but... Uh, um, yeah, he's, uh, I don't know him, but um, I'm also going to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, so you might find that there's more people out there uh, that uh, have done what you're doing than, um, than you realize. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, luckily, um, I already had some income from the apps from the side, um, so I'm kind of ramen profitable, which means I'm not going to starve anytime soon. Um, but still, for the increased risk um, that you have with um, being uh, independent, um, the, the income needs to um, go higher sooner or later, so I can, for example, in the future support a family and um, not be in a really bad place in case I get uh, injured or something. Yeah. Uh, this is a great topic. Um, uh, wanted, Rouse, did you want to jump in and say any, anything on this uh, topic we're talking about? Yeah. Um, I wanted to say, like, uh, you guys, uh, Chris and um, Paul and Daniel, like, you guys are my heroes. Because um, for me, with Stumble and stuff, um, when I started it, I had two jobs. And I was in the process of, of, of quitting the other job. I quit the other job. Uh, but the only drawback for me was that um, like I was doing the coding. So there was a lot of um, capital output that was needed. Uh, so so that, that kind of drew me back a little bit. But over the past year, I, I, I can... Um, I can uh, 
I can identify with you guys having that free time because um, because I quit that job. Like I've got another hobby that I do on the side, like buying and selling uh, white goods. So if anyone wants a washing machine or a fridge, I can sell you one. Um, <laughs> I do that on the side to 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 fund sort of fun stumble on stuff. So um, so that's been really good. Um, so for even for Daniel, like if you've got free time at night, if you drive, I, I know Uber is a, is a great um, income source for other people because. Like two or three hours a night, you can make good money and still have your own freedom. So, I think this liquid workforce that everyone has now is it's, it's really good, and people should tap into it. Yeah, it yeah. just happened to be on my mind today because I had this most wonderful message. I've never had anyone say anything quite like it to me in my life, and uh, he he sent me a message today. A guy that I know, Heath Armstrong, and he approached me two years ago. Um, and he had this huge mountain of debt, and um, his life was um, like 100 hours a week commuting, or some kind of, you know, a huge amount of driving. And 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 uh, he's made a change. He made a commitment to give up, uh, pay off the debt, and then to eventually leave his job. And he's he's just done that, and he's now earning something like $35,000 a month revenue from his e-commerce business. Uh, and he's just he's really really, um, you know, thankful that needed that uh, to hear those other stories to, to help him make, make the push and, and I was luckily I helped him uh, you know make that transition and it's just wonderful to hear so it's been kind of at the forefront of my mind today hmm. uh, right yeah. <laughs> okay uh, what's next then um, so I guess this is the bit where we try to add value to other people's um, businesses and we can help each other out with the people that we know or the stuff that we know. So I wondered if anyone had uh, to, to wanted to jump in and see how they could help uh, with current challenges. Well, I was thinking about, Rolf had said that he uh, was, you know, uh, struggling, well, not necessarily struggling, but needed um, input on Facebook ads. And I don't have too much input to give, but I just thought I'd, I'd get him to flesh out a little, little bit more uh, you know where he's at with those and what he's uh, trying to do. So I'm I'm just trying to put out some good copy for people to be downloading the app and some really great images for people to download the app. Um, I really wish there was some kind of um, you know like we've got that um, the the um, iOS stack uh, stash that we have. Uh, I wish we had that. Um, you know, inspiration for creating ads. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like to have ads of other apps that have been successful. Like, so, if people are forthcoming with their yeah. I know that some people have recently also I think posted on Product Hunt and a marketing stack um, that might help you. And there there are guides for um, how to create these ads and whatnot. I think the most important thing will be mm. the, um, the the audience that you um, define a proper audience in Facebook that is um, as narrow as possible, so that you have the highest chance of converting, without being so narrow that the ads don't get shown to anyone. And then it's also a matter of experimenting. Like really, just just come up with um, 20 different um, copy ideas, for example, or even images, 
and um, create ads with them and run them and see which which ones convert and which ones don't. I think um, this is something that you can't um, or that nobody gets gets right on the first the first time. The only thing how you actually get great results is by iterating. So you start with something and then you go in the direction of where it gets better. Yeah, yeah. And if you have multiple ads, because if you only had one or two ads, you're you know you're gonna be like, oh, these two don't work. So yeah. what? Where next? But if you have four or five, six ads, then you can say, oh, this one and this one actually are converting well. What about these? You know, are working. Exactly. But I guess you're talking about also just creating enough assets and and figuring out how to get that. Uh, you know, compelling assets to to even get out there. Yeah, instead of like visual inspiration too. Rouse, I've pulled up something maybe useful. Uh, I interviewed these guys at Split Metrics, and they enable you to uh, split <laughs> test uh, the um, app landing page for to boost your conversion. So that may mm. be something you could look into. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure I saw recently um, uh, some. Thing on something on Product Hunt that was uh, to do with creating the best templates, whether it's email templates. But uh, it would be good to tap into people that have done lots of Facebook ads and try and get the best copy. Mm, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm after. And because like um, for apps, like I'm I'm more comfortable like showing um, mobile Facebook ads because for me there's too much friction if you show them on the desktop. Someone to pick up their phone and download. Like, there's too much um, noise out there. Like, something can just uh, take their attention quickly. So, the the first place I'd go is um is is, is mobile Facebook ads and like really making it come nicely on the on the phone is uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard, but it's doable. There are some uh, good posts. I've just kind of been clicking around, uh, inspiring ads yeah. on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. Just just a regular Google search for looking for you know Facebook inspirational oh, yeah. ads. And because um, I'm I'm like you, I'm not the best at just coming up with something. If you set me down in Sketch or something or whatever, I'm going to make it in. You know, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I have, I guess it's writer's block or just not maybe lack of knowledge or confidence in design. But once I get some inspiration, mm -hmm. I can really take off. And it sounds like you're a lot like that too. You just need something to see that's like, oh, yeah, I could do that. But if I change that and uh, work this over for my campaign, you know, that type of thing. But, um, Definitely, that's a ham like you, yeah, visual. Yeah, and one tip that I do is um, I'll just do a Google image search for whatever it is that I want inspiration on, and a lot of times, not only will you get a lot of good images that you're like, oh yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for, but they also are obviously posted on pages that might be a collection of those or a blog post. So that's a trick that I've always used to try to find uh, good, good inspiration. I, I just know, Ross, in, in my experience of doing Facebook ads, uh, I know that it can run away from you pretty quickly. The cost, you start chasing, uh, the, uh, and it, it can get quite expensive fairly quickly. So certainly um, you know, have the limits on there, the budget. I mean, the impressions, uh, I remember once putting $100 up, and, and the impressions went within like a space of an hour. <laughs> I 
blitz my budget. So they can you know, try and target as much as you can with um, see if you can. Um, uh, and the other thing I learned as well is that there are actually, um, I don't know what countries you're operating in, but someone taught me that uh, the US is the most expensive um, target market. So, so uh, if you're looking for installs, uh, you could always try other countries that are less expensive on the cost per click. The US is where the money is. <laughs> well, well, okay, okay. I'll tell you what. It was the it was the chat with. Um, I had this conversation with uh, the guy, the founder of Aptopia. Aptopia, and he yeah. said that everyone assumes it's where the money is, but yeah. you're paying a huge amount of cost yeah. per click. Uh, and and he mm. actually had a successful company that were doing um, their Facebook ads in France uh, and actually successfully built. Uh, you know their business from just that one market, uh, okay. and and that's where all their installs were converting. So you know, I guess don't, don't assume anything. That's what he says. Yeah. Also, um, if I if I'm not mistaken, um, with Stumble um, on stuff, you have a um, a yeah. two-sided marketplace with sellers and buyers, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and it mm. might be easier to um, to roll that out <coughs> almost city by city. Um, because people want something to buy close to them, and uh, if if you have uh, like ten thousand people on the platform, but these ten thousand people are distributed all over the world, in every single city there will be one or two people. On the other hand, if you have these ten thousand people in one city, um, you actually have a um, a thriving marketplace. Yeah. All right. That's some good advice. Yeah. That's that's what I was looking at doing. Uh, city by city. Uh, rollouts. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost follow that up with, you know, really researching and picking just a handful of cities to target uh, that you just, you literally don't spend any ad dollars outside of those cities or city even uh, mm. to get, to really, to really push it and, uh, you know, try your, you know, testing there with different ad types, different copy and just uh, those are kind of be your test markets then you'll find out what ad copy works for those markets and what kind of uh, growth you get and then you can spread from there. Hmm. That's really good. Thanks Chris. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Good. Can I ask um, Daniel something? Sure. Uh, Daniel, I wondered if you're using your own software, your, your timing app, where would, where's your most productive time? What, what kind of are the big um, drains on your time, and where, where do you spend to fo where do you tend to focus most of your time uh, when you look at your own app? Um, I must admit that uh, recently I haven't been um, using it that much for <laughs> productivity. Um, and what I did also notice using your own app. <laughs> so uh, uh, the, uh, the problem with the app is actually at the moment um, it tracks time in one hour intervals. So you can see maybe I did that in that hour and I did that in the other hour. Um, but not um, exactly on a timeline, if you know what I mean. And uh, um, it's it's kind of easier to to make out, uh, to see distractions um, on a timeline than on a um, uh, just a okay, you did some of this, some of that basis. That's why I'm working on um, doing a timeline in version two right now. Um, but with that, um, I would say that when I'm on my uh, computer and um, working, I'm somewhat productive. The bigger problem is um, not so much the involuntary procrastination, but you know the voluntary procrastination, where 
um, either I feel like, um, yeah, where I, I feel like I'm, I'm stuck, for example. Um, or just because I, I have to, um, or I have a lot of other stuff going on that I'm not at the computer at all, for example. We've got 10 minutes. I'd love to know. I mean, I'm struggling now with email. Uh, I am getting, I would say, 50 to 100 emails a day and um, trying to keep a clear inbox. And a lot of these are just very quick responses. I'm loving the uh, Google Inbox uh, app where it actually populates a response for you. Uh, and I'm, what I do is I send these um, emails to my to-do list on Evernote and try and get them deleted. And also I'm using Boomerang to reply to emails three or four days um, delay so that you're not getting into a two-way chat with someone. But does anyone have any tips on like how they deal with email and whether that's uh, you know productive or whether it's a time waster kind of thing? Um, it totally depends. I, I think email is one of the things um, that um, make you feel busy and uh, thus release some um, or something. On, on this, and there are actually a lot of things uh, like that where you feel like you're making progress, but actually you're mostly keeping yourself busy. Um, and uh, um, I mean, for the work you are doing, I think I mean your value is from your network, right? And for that, email is an essential part. Um, for a person like me, email um, can be a waste of time. On the other hand, I don't get that much and don't write that much email in the first place. Yeah, if anyone could keep a lookout for a resource, any any artificial intelligence that replies like to the low, low priority emails or a service where they tap into your emails and they can just figure out the important ones and uh, highlight those, I, I would love that. So I wonder um, if something like priority. Oh, go ahead. Um, which which uh, does a sort of good job of figuring out the important emails for you. And um, I think there are several Gmail extensions um, that allow you to just use or do canned replies, um, which can really help already. Yeah, I've got Text Expander loaded up, and I use that. Uh, yeah. That. Yeah, that's a I good start. I um, have been, uh, in the last week, I was just because I since I do so much curation, I'm you know a subscriber to all the newsletters uh, just to kind of um, you know keep my eye on everything that's going on. And the one thing that I've been doing over the last week is just creating a lot of Google filters, which I'm sure you've got some, Paul, that you know so that you don't not everything makes it to your inbox and kind of just to categorize some things. Assuming you use. Gmail, but any type of filter like that. I've just been anything that I don't have to read. I've been trying to filter and throw it somewhere else, so that it's not distracting me. And then the other tip that I'm sure you guys have all heard is, you know, don't be in your email all day. You know, pick times and a schedule to check your email um, at particular times. And if if an email takes longer than a minute or two to reply, then turn it into a task, and uh, you know, set a time to actually handle that email. Um, but yeah, Text Expander works great for emails, and that's how I handle all my app-related emails. It works pretty good. But just kind of getting on that schedule where you're not, you know, because you can just sit there, and every time an email comes in, you deal with it, and that's just all that does is take you away from what you're working on and take you your focus away, and it really isn't productive at all. And then it also trains the people that um, are emailing you that, hey, guess what, Paul or Chris or uh, 
they answer immediately whenever I email them. So there's an expectation there um, that you're going to get right back to them. And you don't want to really create that expectation because, you know, then, um, then you can let people down whenever you don't get back to them quickly or you don't want to get back to them quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is probably going a little bit too technical, but I do find Text Expander does actually format the text slightly differently on different occasions. And, and so when you do your canned reply, you, you type in, hey, Robert, and, and then you do the, um, the quick shortcode thing, and it populates the Hi. email. I've got your solution, Paul. Yeah. Because I had this problem just uh, just a while back, and I couldn't figure it out at first, but I didn't dig in. It was kind of just annoying, so I didn't dig in. But in Text Expander, uh, on your, um, you can choose at the very top how you want the content to display. And some, for some reason, a lot of mine were rich text, which I didn't want them to be. So if you go in and pick one of your, uh, one of your snippets, and at the top it says content colon, and then you can click that, and it'll let you do it in plain text or formatted text with pictures. And I found like the ones that weren't formatted correctly, because uh, I mostly use plain text in my email, were the ones that were formatted text with pictures. So it was basically throwing HTML in there, which caused it not to look like any of the rest of the text. That's a great tip. Excellent. That might be your problem. I just looked for this, and um, there apparently is a feature in the Gmail Labs called Canned Responses, um, which really also just lets you type the email into uh, um, or create the template inside Gmail, which should always have the same formatting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it pretty much. I know uh, some of the people, some of the people I work with use that, and it's pretty handy. It's it's almost like um, if you use Gmail a lot for your uh, responses instead of Text Expander, or if you're on a Windows machine or something like that, which I don't know that they have any that many great solutions for this. Um, but it, that does work pretty well because um, you can just it's like a drop down in there. Yeah, and I'm I'm using the same feature actually for my support requests. In, in mail um, with uh, the um, mail act on add-on, um, add I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I've been copying it into to, uh, uh, the text editor and then copying it uh, and expanding it into text edi editor and copying it across. And I'm thinking this is not what this was intended for. <laughs> I also have a, and this is kind of technical, I have a little a snippet in Text Expander that um, when I type semicolon plain, it takes whatever's in, the, uh, in my clipboard and uh, pastes it as plain text. And um, that's been very helpful to me because there's so many times when yeah. you, you just want to plain text everything. So I'll just control A, highlight everything, copy it, and then type that in. And boom, it just it evens everything out. But I could share that with you guys. I think um, many apps also have the hotkey Command Shift V for that. Oh, that's true. Yes, it, it's a, a remove formatting paste basically. I yeah. use that all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've lost Bart because I guess this is getting a bit <laughs> beyond our scope. So, <laughs> is there any um, final things before I say goodbye? I'm, I think my battery's about to die, so I thought it'd better wrap this up. <laughs> no, I, I just thanks Daniel for coming on. I hope you uh, join us uh, frequently. Uh, you can become a regular if you like. We'd your insight is great, and um, we're just trying to kind of build a, a group of guys here that help each other and kind of go forward with all these uh, app adventures. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, and um, thanks so much for having me. Um, I already loved this time, so I hope to show up next time as well. Excellent. Okay, great. Um, thanks, thanks everyone. See you, Paul. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.